Are you still mixing station gas and oil for your string trimmer, leaf blower, or chainsaw? Eliminate the mess and the guesswork with True Fuel, the original pre-mixed two-cycle fuel. True Fuel is ethanol-free and precision-engineered for small engines, improving performance, and extending the life of your outdoor power equipment. And True Fuel is available for both two- and four-cycle engines. Empower your equipment with True Fuel. Available at your local home and garden center today. Mayday! Mayday! Yes, everyone, UNC back to the Final Four. Whites and Nas on a rainy Wednesday, or excuse me, rainy Monday. 1-605-562-8001. Press 5 you want to join the conversation. You can find the links on Twitter and Facebook as well, on the Whites and Nas page, as well as my personal account. Uh, I got myself thinking about Wednesday already, because Mr. Weissman will be back on Wednesday. He is recovering. He's getting all of his stuff together since he did miss a week of, uh, a week of academics, so... And we also will have Jared Diamond off from the Wall Street Journal on to talk the locals, mainly Yankees, mainly Mets. And uh, he was around the NCAA tournament as well, covering the Gonzaga game. So we're going to ask him about that, too. Uh, really exciting week for you guys. I can't wait for Weissman to be back. Big Daddy making his return. So on the other day, he's fine. Just got to get all the stuff together. He's supposed to be back today. He'll definitely be back on Wednesday. So we got an exciting show for you guys with and we're going to start with some tampering bad news, and we're going to get to the, uh, to the NCAA tournament in just a bit. Uh, we're going to start with the locals first. And we need to start with the Long Island native who, as a hometown hero, I've been to the deli, I've been to Seaport. I've been to Seaport more than I've seen Stephen Matz pitch. Uh, and it's sad. It really is sad because Stephen Matz on the shelf with an elbow issue yet again. And whenever we hear the E-word, uh, elbow, uh, we, we get very scared and we get very uh, intimidated by that word. And it, it, it's it's sad because what else could you do, right? What else could you do but possibly just hope that these guys are just going to stay healthy for one year, just one year so this team can make a run? And for some extent, they did make a run. Um, they went to the World Series, obviously, the year before last. They got there with their extraordinary sounding pitching that they had with Noah and DeGrom and Max and Harvey, of course, who was leading the way that year. But now it comes into question, will we ever see this quote-unquote fab five? Ever. Not ever again. Ever. Uh, we've, we've never seen them all five of them together. If someone hasn't been hurt, you know, one guy comes back and Wheeler on his way back and then Max gets put on the shelf and he's out indefinitely. And we don't know when or if he's going to come back this season. And I don't want to jump to conclusions, but when you hear Sandy Alderson talk about the issue today, you hear the worry in his voice. You hear, obviously, trying to stay optimistic because you don't want to worry fans because all they hear is an elbow and they think the world is coming to an end, as, as I do to an extent as well. But it's one thing after another with Matt. And it's the same issue. It's the elbow. Now, maybe it's not the same issue that he had last year with the bone spurs. He had surgery to repair those. But it's one thing after another. And this is one guy who has had Tommy John surgery already. <laughs> We've seen multiple pitchers have it more than once. And it worries you. But it also, it shot, you know, a little bit of light shines on 
Sandy Alderson's decision over the past few years to stay patient with these pitchers and not listen to the media and listen to the fans in trading one of these guys. Because you see how easily one of these guys go down, you need someone else to step up. And, and something that the Mets have a good amount this year is depth at the starting pitching position. Um, Gazelman, Lugo, obviously Big Bart Clone is not there, no, is there no longer. But you have Amontero, who has looked better in spring. Maybe he'll be put in the bullpen. Now there's some competition out for the bullpen this year. We shall soon see what uh, what comes upon it. So it's exciting that baseball season is around the corner. You're worried about the starting pitching. Now, this year the Mets time might have the bats to back it up. You finally have a – you haven't had a leadoff hitter like Jose Reyes since Jose Reyes left. You have him this year. You have a guy in Yoannis Cespedes that's going to put fear into pitchers and really put some pre- take some pressure off guys like Jay Bruce and Curtis Granderson and Lucas Duda. So, and Darno, you know how I feel about Darno. I would start Rene Rivera opening day, which is, looks like that what they're going to do, and then give him his shot after. He, he for this spring, he has shut me up. He has shut me up. He has shut up a lot of the critics. He has hit very well. Behind the plate, still has a lot of issues and a lot of things to work on. He threw out three out of four minor league base runners. Great. You got to throw him out at the major league level. Remember the World Series two years ago? When the Royals would get a sit with his single, it virtually turned into a double because Darno had no shot. No shot. I mean no shot to throw him out. The only time when <laughs> someone did get called out was when Zobris got called for interference because he was standing in the way of the box. The only throw out that Darno had that entire series, the Mets had no shot because of the pitching or because of the, of the catching and the defense and the, the weakness of his arm and Travis Darno. That concerns me. The health of the pitchers concern me. The back end of the bullpen minus Jerus Familia concerns me, but the problem is he's not going to be here for however long for the domestic violence issue that was the charges were dropped by the victim, by his wife. But he's going to get suspended. We're waiting for the MLB to lay the hammer down on it. So he's not going to be there for at least 30 days. And someone has to step up. Now, is it going to be Addison Reed? I would assume Terry Collins said... It's going to be by committee, but you can assume that it, that Reed is going to get the first shot. Hanso Robles is a guy I really like his stuff. I really thought he's always had the stuff to be a back end of the uh, back end of the bullpen guy. And Fernando Salas and Seawald, and we'll see what comes of Edgen and Blevins, but the Mets. When you put now Jerusalem, they have a lot of pieces, right? They have a lot of pieces in that bullpen. It's like a car. Okay, you, you got the body of work of the car, right? And it looks really nice. The only problem is you need the engine. That's that's familiar. Familiar is the engine of what the Ferrari, or what a possible Ferrari can look like. And now just stay with me. This Smith's bullpen has the potential to be really, really good. Now, can Addison Reed 
mass what he did last year. He was so good last year, all-star caliber, led the league in holds. I really doubt that he's going to match what he did last year, but not that it's, you know, not exactly saying he's going to have a bad year. I'm just saying he was so astronomically good last year as an eighth inning guy. I doubt that this year will be comparable. And if it is, great. The Mets are in a great position. I expect a better role or a bigger role, rather, from Hansel Robles. All right, this is a guy who throws upper 90s, good breaking stuff, has all the tools to be a good bullpen pitcher in the back end, eighth, maybe even possible ninth inning one day. Obviously, Blevins, good to be back now. Two-year a deal with an option. Good to have him back. Their best lefty out of the bullpen by far last year. And then you got a few guys, right? Montero, Seawald, who looks to make the team. Uh, Josh Edgen, which a guy who I was a fan of a few years ago, pre-Tommy John surgery. It doesn't look like he's going to get back to that upper 98, 99 stuff that he had thrown hard like that. Now, I'm talking about the bullpen a lot in the first 10 minutes of the show for a reason. I'm getting it. And let me segue to it. Now, Lefties that are in the bullpen don't really aren't exactly you know a dime a dozen right, more of a penny a dollar, where you get a real good lefty coming out of that bullpen. You know, not everyone could be Aroldis Chapman or uh, J.P. Howell, or even if you want to stay with the locals from a few years ago, Feliciano, Jerry Blevins from this past year. Not everyone can be those types of guys. Normally, these type of guys. Andrew Miller's another one. Normally, these types of guys, and Andrew, I say Andrew Miller, former starter, didn't work out for whatever reasons, injury issues, fatigue issues, stamina issues, and they have, end up being great bullpen guys. This is the reality. Now, yeah, I'm looking into my crystal ball because of what I've seen and the durability of this guy. Steven Mass is, is one way or another destined for the bullpen whether it's by injury or something else, but I, the only way I can see it that being done is injury because he's not going to be a hold, able to hold up to pitch 200 innings in a, in a year. So everyone wants to say, well, he's 24. He's got great stuff. Local kid, you can't really do that to Well, if he's not on the field, what am I supposed to do with him? The best, avail, the best ability is availability. We say that we've got a man in so many times. The guy's Iron Man hasn't missed, hasn't missed a start in 10 years of his career. Steven Mass has missed more time than I can count. And we don't know what's going to happen with this elbow issue now. Sandy, like I said before, Sandy Alderson is downplaying it. Doesn't want to put any worry in the fans. If it's serious and he's going to miss a good chunk of the season and Gazelman or Lugo or even, dare I say, Zach Wheeler comes back, Two out of three of those guys come back and they pitch well. Max is going to end up in the bullpen. Whether it's he's not going to be able to handle the 200 innings, his elbow, for a year. Or what happens is he's going to go down for an extended amount of time. Guys are going to take his place. They're not going to want to remove him. He's going to have to go in the bullpen. And I think he'll thrive there. The guy has ace stuff, right? And like all pitchers, like all top prospects do coming out. Andrew Miller had ace stuff. Couldn't be a starter. 
was a shame for the Marlins because they traded Miguel Cabrera that ended up being in the Detroit for the last decade. But some lefties, and we've seen it time and time again, it's going to happen with Chapman. It's going to happen with all these lefties. I, I, I'm sorry to say it, but Steven Matz, one way or another, will be destined for the bullpen. Whether he is forced or the Mets forced their hand on doing it. It's just, it's just too many injuries. I, I can't say it enough. I, it's like beating a dead horse. Every single year, every few months, you, you don't know. After every start, Steven, Steven Matz, you have to worry if he's going to be able to make his next one. Now, he's not going to make his start next start, which was supposed to be today or tomorrow. Gazelman will fill in nicely. Lugo will fill in nicely, which it looks like both of those guys are going to end up in the, in the opening day rotation. Now, how many starts they make in the month of April, we'll see, because obviously the season starts next week, less than a week, actually. Matt, you would think, wouldn't make his first start of the season the way he was planned to. And Wheeler, we, we don't know. I, I, the guy had an ERA over eight. I, I don't really want to look at that much because he's coming back from two years of being absent. But we have to face the fact we may never see these five together. Now, the best chance was this year. Wheeler was back. Matt was supposed to be healthy coming off surgery. The other three, two guys are coming off surgery. And no look is... Noah Syndergaard looks as good as he's ever looked. But someone gets hurt, and when they come back, another man goes down, and so on and so forth. So, but the thing with the Mets this year, they have the bats to back it up. Now, the way they structure their lineup is going to be interesting to me with the lefties that they have. Do we want to break it up? You got Jose Reyes as a switch hitter, obviously, and, uh, and Cabrera the same, and Neil Walker. So you got some you got some uh, versatility with this lineup that you can use. Now you got the now we'll see what happens with Lagares. It could open up a spot for Conforto, but if you're just putting him in the, as a fourth outfielder, I don't want to see Conforto up here. I want to see him in Vegas. I want to see him playing every day. Yes, his stats are going to be bloated from the environment out in Las Vegas, as we see every single batter do, and we see even see every pitcher uh, ERA blow up the way you know a Gazelman or a Lugos did, and they come up and have success here. I I, I like to see someone else is the fourth outfielder, whether it's a guy that I really don't think has a whole high of a ceiling like a Nimmo. Now, whether he's healthy is is, uh, is going to be the determination of that. Obviously, so we're going to have Reyes batting off leadoff. Now, we're just going to take a look at Anthony DeCombo's lineup here because you do have the lineup out, and you would think, aside from Darnone being and Darnone and Rene Rivera mixing and matching the way, I think they're going to match between um, Syndergaard wanting to, obviously, cat, ha, having Rivera catch for him. All right, here it is. Now, this isn't going to be the lineup, but it's a structure of it, right? Race is going to be leaning off. Conforto, I guess. Ooh, all right. Whoa, we got Tim Tebow in the lineup today. All right, great. Great, wonderful. I got to look at this today. All right, here we go. Seth Swiss is going to be in set, uh, left field, Granderson in center. Cabrera is going to be a shortstop. Bruce Hit and clean up, excuse me. Bruce hit and clean up in right field. Flores at first base. Okay, so we got uh, to split squat today. And Wheeler will be pitching. And the pitcher for the national, uh, the uh, the televised game will be Lugo. So we'll get to see him for the spring. Now, we got to see him enough in Puerto Rico, or obviously pitching for Puerto Rico enough to the point where, you know, he'll be ready for the season if he needs to start. 
And we also saw him in the bullpen last year, so we know he can be versatile in that sense. But what you really think it's going to be – now, I'm really curious to see who they're going to put at cleanup because, you know, Cespedes isn't your traditional cleanup hitter. He's a third, mostly a third hitter. You would want to put him in the third spot. I would think maybe Neil Walker would get that chance in the fourth unless you decide to put him at second. But what I would think Reyes would lead off, Cabrera right behind him, Cespedes would hit third. I would think Granderson would hit cleanup. Um, if you were to do that, I would figure Neil Walker after that, so you could split up him and Bruce. Bruce would hit six. Uh, I don't think he wants two lefties in a row there. And then, uh, obviously, either Duda or Darno, which I'm so fixated on putting Darno as eighth because if you have him or him and Rivera both hitting eighth, what's the, you know just have the guy who's better defensively. But uh, just for the sake of breaking up the lefties, put Duda at eighth. Darno in the seventh spot. And you know what? Darno, I've put a lot on him lately. I've put a lot on him ever since the World Series, honestly. Uh, the guy defensively is just a wreck. Uh, last year, I, I believe um, I believe the only one who had less home runs on him on the roster was David Wright, who played enough games. It's dirty enough, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I've been really disappointed in him. A lot of Mets fans have. But the ceiling is still there, right? Just like the cliff is still there with old players, the ceiling is still there with Travis Darno. This is going to be a this is a make or break year. You know, this is going to be his third year full time as a catcher. This is it for Darno. If he doesn't come up big here, the Mets got to go a different direction behind the plate. Now, I don't think it's Rene Rivera, obviously, from long term. But this is why, you know, last year when me and Steven were right in the mints of. Uh, really in the prime of the show when we really got the training wheels off. You know, obviously the training deadline came around. Johnson Lucor is rumored. We really thought that had to be the guy. He's good behind the plate. He has a bat. He has a friendly contract, right? And if you want to sign him for long-term, that would be the consensuous thing to do, sign him for a long-term deal. Obviously it didn't happen. That boat is long gone. Now we're stuck with Darnell. This is his last shot. Now, I'm not going to discuss different options if he doesn't come up through this year because we're going we're gonna, to uh, run through the motions and see what happens. Duda, I mean, he's, I, I've been to a game where, this, where the team lost 10-3 and he hit three home runs. I mean, the home runs are going to come in spurts where you don't really need them. They're going to be in blowouts on either side, and it's not exactly going to come up in the clutch. If it was up to me, I would hope... Terry would think at least think about this platooning him in Florida. <laughs> where did that where did that come from? Wow, uh, him in Flores. I don't know where that uh, that accent came from, guys. I guess uh, the Spanish class is actually helping. Look at that. So him in Flores, you would think he platooned. Flores hit the cover off the ball against lefties last year. Obviously, Duda did the exact opposite. Duda really he does nothing for me. I mean, he's bad defensively. We remember that. I don't have to go over the moment. Everyone remembers it. It kills my partner. It kills me. The guy can't hit lefties, and he's going to hit home runs at the most unopportune times. And when I say that, I mean a blowout. I mean a five-run game when he's going to hit a solo shot instead of a two- or three-run home run. He's not needed to me. And Dominic Smith is coming. You know, whether it be – now, if Duda gets hurt, whether it will be this year or next year – 
Dominic Smith is on the way. There's a lot of praise about him. Hopefully he lives up to the hype. Hopefully he doesn't fall into the category I put as Fernando Martinez. I give him his own category. Five to a player. Couldn't get enough of him. Didn't want to ruin him. He came up. He just didn't have it. You know, there, isn't that we're so fixated on that two-letter word, it? You know, the guy's got to have it. Why does everyone want Cespedes back? Why did the Mets give him that big money? Because he came here and you saw he had it. Right? We've seen guys time and time again. Jason Bay. Mo Vaughn. Uh, so many different guys. Jeremy Burnett. Mike Hampton. So many guys that have had... Johan Santana, I understand he pitched the only no-hitter in the Mets history. There were times he just came up small in big spots. You can't deny that. This guy, Cespedes, we've seen so many, again, so many stars crumble up in the spotlight. This guy had it. That's why we needed to have him back, right? Matt Harvey, when he first came up, we gave him the nickname, we gave him the spotlight, and he thrived under it. He had it. Now, ever since then, he's had some injury issues. He's come back from it. And for eight innings of the Game 5 World Series, he had it. Right? DeGrom, silently, it. Senegar, he has. <laughs> he's Thor. We've given him the spotlight. Again, all three of those guys, give them the spotlight. They thrive under it. They're labeled as having it. So... When we talk about the polar opposite of having it, and then we look at Jay Bruce. Uh, Jay Bruce is interesting to me. This is a guy anywhere else in the no-pressure situation is going to hit 30 home runs. Now he's in a pennant. He's going to be in a pennant race. You would think, oh, God, hope so. If, it, listen, if we're in July and August, we're not in a pennant race. We're going to have some serious issues on this network. You figure he's going to be in a pennant race. Didn't really come up anything close to competent, uh, to competent last season when he got traded over. Now, he didn't really want to come here, you heard afterwards, and, and uprooting his family, and so, and he was in Cincinnati his whole career. You gotta get over it, you're a big boy now, right? Now, if he doesn't perform, or if he, you know, if he does perform, maybe they look to trade him, give Conforto a shot, but if he does perform, what you, what reason would you have him trading him? I've heard people talk about, you know, well, let him get some reps. Let him hit about 20 home runs before the deadline, and then they'll trade. For, for what reason, then? If he's hitting 20 home runs before the deadline, you're, you're going to need him. Now, another worry I would have is, and we're getting into some Yankees, too. I mean, we're, I found myself ranting on about the Mets for too long. Curtis Granderson is center field every single day. He's 36 years old. He's a veteran. I get it. And he is an engine on the boat in that lineup, and in that clubhouse, for that matter, that makes this ship go. And you know, what we were talking about during the offseason, there were rumors about Granderson, rumors about Bruce. You knew they weren't going to trade Granderson. Obviously, I, I have no inside information. But the guy in the clubhouse in the locker room was essentially a quote-unquote leader, although we had a captain already. The captain wasn't, because of injury issues, was not around. Who took over is Curtis Granderson. You know, he was the voice in that locker room. But the problem is 36-year-old legs in center field every day to a guy who hadn't played it in three or four years is going to be an issue. Now, as long as Juan Lagares can stay healthy and Michael Conforto can get some reps in center field as he is playing center field today in my or in against the Marlins, wherever they're playing that game, I believe that's Jupiter, uh, Jupiter, Florida, obviously. 
<laughs> not the planet. We'll see. And can he hold up for a full season? I would say, I would think he wouldn't be able to. Maybe Seth Smith gets a couple of games in center field this season. Jay Bruce has never played that position. I wouldn't touch him there. So that's one. So the concerns I have with this team, the bullpen, the health of the rotation, the catching position, and whether Curtis Granderson can stay upright and healthy this whole year if he's going to be playing center field every day. It's going to worry me a lot. Now, if Juan Garris is healthy and he's going to be a defensive replacement late in the game when they have the lead, I'll, I'll be okay with it. I'll be able to sleep at night. So, got into the Mets, and we're going to get into the Yankees as well. Uh, I just want to get into the D.D. Gregorius issue and the WBC issue. We, we haven't been on since last Monday. So, either he got hurt right before that he got hurt during the week. I, I, I know while I was on air, um, I believe it was the day after, so. This is the problem with expedition, expedition games, right? Now, you're not going to be able to tell your players you're not allowed to play for the Netherlands or for, you know, Italy or, or Cuba or Dominican Republic, whatever it is, Puerto Rico. But this is the problem with it. Now, everyone says, well, he could have gotten that injury anywhere with the shoulder issue. And But come on. Will he get that issue in spring training? Maybe. We don't know. That's not the situation that we're in right now. But this is the fact of the matter. It's dangerous, and it's worrisome. Now, I get it. It's once every four years, but this is the worry that we have with these players. Listen, Venezuela, Jose Reyes, all these guys, uh, Dominican Republic with the Jerusalem Familia, I wanted all of them out of the tournament, knocked out early. I didn't want any of them in there for the clear reason of them getting hurt while not even playing for your team. Now, luckily, the Mets went and came and went. No one got hurt for them. Really, the only ones who got hurt were Gregorius. He's going to be out for six weeks now. And the talk is, what are you going to do at that position? And, and Sal Perez, who you know doesn't really pertain to this uh, conversation, uh, he's apparently going to be fine with the, with the knee contusion. But now the issue is Gregorius, and the issue is where do you play him? Or who do you put in his position, right? Where, who are you playing at shortstop? And the initial thought is, well, put Glaber Torres there. Well, this is the problem. He's never played in cold weather before. He's always played, you know, high level A, and he hasn't even been above double A yet. Now, he killed it in the fall league, played very well in spring training. You don't want him to come up here for a month, do poorly. Play in cold weather, play in Baltimore in April, play in New York in April, and then not be able to essentially ruin him. Now, are you going to ruin him because you know you brought him up too early and he won't be able to handle the pressure of being in the big leagues and you send him down and you have him up? Well, you know what? This is the problem. And I said this when Conforto got called up too. You know, if you bring him up and he just did, you know, he's not going to be able to hit and you essentially ruined him, well, he just didn't have it then. You know, what you thought he had was never there. Now, from what we've seen from Torres, he's got it. Right? He's got the moxie. I like his persona. And obviously, he could hit the cover off the ball. Now, finding him in position would be the problem. You wanted him to play third base, which is really the plan. Uh, the long-term plan with him, but if he has to play shortstop, he could play shortstop. I, I mean, he's also, what, 20, 21, if that. So you don't want 
to really rush him if you don't need to be. And what you can see from Torres or what you can get from Torres, hopefully you, you would expect it to fill in the void for Gregorius, but you don't expect that. I mean, Didi Gregorius, you now we keep talking about it. I'm not trying to make him out to be Derek Jeter, but he was an important part of this team. He was an underrated part with all the young guys that they have, you know, and Clint Frazier and Aaron Judge and Greg Bird and Gary Sanchez, obviously. Didi is a veteran in that locker room, in that lineup. Right, I mean, you got so many young guys that DD just ends up being, you know, one of the veterans, along with along with Gardner and Ellsbury and such. Now you don't have that for the first six weeks. You know, if they get off to a bad start, and there aren't big expectations with this team, I mean, they're over unders at eighty three. So, if this team gets off to a but if this team gets off to a bad start, I mean, people are going to be frustrated. People are going to be aggravated. And if Torres isn't playing shortstop and they get, you know, whoever the other guy was, I'll look that up now. Um, you know, people are going to be angry and calling for Torres. And you don't want that if you're Brian Cashman. If you think he's ready to come up, then let him play shortstop on opening day. If you don't think he's ready, just drown out the noise from the fans, drown out the noise from the media, and put him in double-A AA or triple-A or wherever you see fit for him to go. And obviously pitching is a concern with them. So if they're going to be winning games, if they're going to get the over on the 83, obviously it's going to have to be with the young hitting, with the young players uh, at those positions, Sanchez and um, Judge and Bird, right? It's not going to be in that bullpen, obviously, with Betances, with Betances and uh, and Chapman closing out games. So we shall soon see what's going to be of that. But uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And we're going to get into some more Yankees when we get back. But afterwards, we're definitely going to get into the NCAA tournament, the Final Four set. And we're also going to get into um, Mel Kuyper's mock draft. Last time I was on air, uh, Todd McShay brought his out, and now Mel Kuyper's is out. So we're going to definitely we're going to get into that uh, after this commercial break. And also... Um, on SoundCloud, we, we put out a donate, um, a charitable opportunity for you guys, obviously. The SoundCloud podcast that we put out through S&D Podcast, uh, every view that we get and every download, it was going to be, uh, donated. We would donate a dollar to the American Cancer Society. So, uh, we donated, four, we got 43 views, so we're going to be donating 43 from the Weissman and Oz team. And also, SAD Podcast will be matching that number at 43, too. So almost $100 to the American Cancer Society. Uh, thank you, all the listeners and everyone who, who uh, took the time out to download the podcast. Um, you did a good thing, and it only took a few seconds. So, um, All right, so we'll be back after this commercial break. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, this commercial is brought to you by the SAD Podcast. You can find their stuff and our stuff, of course, uh, on Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. So we'll be back with you right after this commercial break on the I-95 Sports Network. Weissman and I is on a Wednesday. <laughs> 
Introducing the SD Podcast channel, your new source for all types of podcasts. We are looking for new podcasts to add to our channel. So if you ever wanted to start a podcast, reach out to us via Twitter, DM, or just add us at SD Podcast. Or message us on Facebook or even email us at SNDpodcast at gmail.com. Once you reach out to us, we'll tell you the best way to create a podcast. All types of podcasts are welcome. So anything you want to talk about for a podcast, just let us know. No idea is a bad idea. We're already on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play, and all other podcast apps. All you have to do is record the podcast. So hit us up soon so you can start your podcast now. about Big Daddy, man. I'm thinking about Big Daddy. I'm thinking about Jared Diamond. I'm thinking about our baseball MLB preview on Wednesday. So I'm jumping too far ahead to Wednesday, obviously. Um, But we will soon get there in two days, obviously. It is a rainy Monday. Um, And we're talking about, before I cut the break, the possibility at shortstop for the Yankees for the first six weeks. Um, the two guys that I could not think of, Tyler Wade and Pete Cosma. Um, Ronaldo Torres is another guy. So obviously they're clamoring for an option, right? And I'm just reading uh, from the New York Post, Joel Sherman, who's the fourth starter. And I wanted to get into this, obviously. Um, so the problem with the Mets, isn't the talent in the rotation, obviously. It's the, it's the health of, of the pitcher, of the individual pitcher, and, and whether they can stay healthy or not. Max and Harvey and Wheeler, obviously, and DeGrom and Syndergaard. You worry about all of them, whether they've been injured or before or not. Um, the, the problem with the Yankees, obviously, is the talent of that pitcher. Because with the Mets, you got, at worst, two guys. Two guys going at, at their A-plus stuff level. DeGrom is back. Noah's there. Harvey looks to be getting there. Now, you don't know whether what you're going to get from him from the begin, in the beginning of the season. But you figure that he's going to be back. You saw his velocity jump back up to 97 yesterday. With Max, you don't know. And with uh, Lugo, you don't know. But you got, or excuse me, with Wheeler, you don't know. But you got guys in Lugo and Gazelman that you feel confident in replacing uh, or with filling in if they can, can't come back at all, I mean. Obviously, no more big sexy, but uh, the Mets got enough pitching to go around, at least for themselves. Uh, the problem with the Yankees, I mean, we're talking about who's going to be a fourth starter. You got one guy, and it's a guy who year after year, you know, we get concerned of 
his elbow, right? And all we keep hearing is that his ligament is hanging from a thread, right? So you got that one guy, and that one guy you're going to be concerned with the entire season. Not exactly, uh, not exactly about a confidence. Okay, and also that guy is going to be pitching for a contract. Now, this guy, obviously, this team is not going to be concerned with money, right? It's just not the Yankees MO to be concerned with money aside from the last couple of years, but this past offseason, you can make a case there was really no big free agents out there to go out and get. What you were going to have to pay for if you wanted to improve was with prospects with Chris Sale, and, and the Yankees weren't willing to do that. So they've never been obviously very far from cheap. So that's not exactly the concern. The concern is the talent aside from Tanaka, right? And people want to say one and a half. I don't consider Michael Pineda a half. I don't even consider him a half. I don't consider him a quarter. Uh, I, uh, you know, he's like Bigfoot to me. You know, I've heard all the rumors. I've heard all the stories. I've heard that the stuff is there. I haven't seen it, right? It's all a myth to me. And then you have CC. So your one through three is set up. Now, will CC be able to stay healthy this season? Will he even be able to do what he did last year, which was really exceeding expectations? We're going to have to see, but you got to put a little, you got to think that's a little bit tarnished with CC because you don't know what you're going to get from him. If you can get what you got from him last year, that'd be great. Uh, I mean, for most of the season, he was decent. He would go six, seven innings for a while. He was their best pitcher, which is scary to say. Now, Jordan Montgomery is fighting for the fourth spot in the rotation. Jordan Montgomery. Now, whether he gets the third or the fourth or the fifth, uh, it should be, uh, we'll see. But we'll see what happens. There are a few guys, Chad Green, Luis Sessa. Severino should be, he's had a decent spring. Severino should be in that fourth spot, so now we're talking about the fifth, right? And it's another guy with Severino. Has electric stuff. We've seen him come out of the bullpen. The Yankees want to make him a starter. You would think this is his last shot, that if he can't be a starter and can't have success this season, that they're going to put him in the bullpen and, you know, get the uh, get the seventh, eighth, ninth death wheel of a uh, seventh, eighth, ninth guy who are just going to throw 90 nine plus at you, right? With our oldest Chapman, obviously, it's going to be 103-104. But right now, they're going to use Severino as a starter. And this will probably be his last shot. Now, we've seen this stuff before. We saw it a couple years ago when he came up. The guy is electric. Now, you got James Capillian, obviously, in the minor leagues as well. You'll see what they get from him. He's obviously not ready to come up. He's a guy, but he, they look at him as a future ace. They also look at all these position players as star players. Now, will they all work out? I, that's yet to be seen. And listen, not every when you get a band of prospects and you say, well, this guy's going to be great and this guy's going to be phenomenal, they usually don't all work out. Now, with the Mets, talent-wise, we've seen it. They all have the talent to be what we expect them to be. The only problem is with the help with them. but. You, know, you get three out of these five guys work out, it's considered a success, right? Uh, obviously, you guys know how I feel about Matt. If you didn't uh, catch the beginning of the show, I, I was making the case of putting Matt in the bullpen. Uh, to me, if, if you put him there and he has success, to me it's successful. Zach Wheeler is a complete mystery. You have no idea what you're going to get from him. And Gazelman and Lugo are obviously just luxuries at this point. Late-round picks. I believe uh, Gazelman was like a 23rd-round pick or something outrageous like that. 
But we'll see what we get from this team. And I spent a lot of time on baseball on the show getting ready for Wednesday. Today's Monday. I know I, I made the mistake a couple of times. A rainy, it's a rainy Monday, not a Wednesday. But uh, Wednesday, Big Daddy Stephen Weissman will be back. Jared Diamond will be on the show coming on at 1230 of the Wall Street Journal. We'll be talking to him. And we will make our predictions, too, as well at the end of the show. Um. I, I actually, the MVP for me in the NL and the AL are basically set. I know what direction I'm going in, right? Now, the only problem in the NL and the AL is the Cy Young. And I got to look more into the NL rookies because the AL rookies, you know, it's it's like Boston and, and Chicago White Sox. It's basically Mankata, assuming that he's, you know, comes up in the middle of the year, or not even in the middle, earlier than that, if he's going to want to win the MB, or excuse me, the AL Rookie of the Year. To me, it's between Mankata and Vendetti. Um, and Gary Sanchez, obviously, but you kind of forget, <laughs> you kind of forget that he's a rookie at times. But we're going to get more into that Wednesday. I want to get into what we saw last night. And last night was special. I mean, if you're a college basketball fan, hardcore, casual, you had the time of your life yesterday. Because what we saw yesterday, and we saw, for Christ's sakes, and we saw a team that never been to the 316, and now they're going to the Final Four. And they had to beat Duke to do it. They had to beat, uh, obviously, oh, who did they play? Oh, they demolished Baylor afterwards. So Duke... Baylor, I had him losing in the first round to Marquette. That's the astonishing thing to me. And if you forgot, if you were living under a rock yesterday and you had no idea what happened, uh, let's just remind you. Oh, yes. Top 10 pick, guaranteed top 10 pick from Kentucky, Malik Monk, with just an outrageous three, with two defenders closing in on him. It's amazing that he got the shot off in general. And then, obviously, um, May. Uh, Luke May, excuse me. Luke May with just the shot of his life. And so I'm getting... A lot, of, a lot of credit for going. It was 8 a.m. the next day. Come on, let's not, let's not congratulate players and student athletes. And that's the reason why they got the scholarship for. But it really, truly is amazing what we saw yesterday. We saw a South Carolina team that had no shot. Point was it? I think three tenths of a percent of brackets had them going to the Final Four, and those are guaranteed South Carolina fans or, or alumni or, or current students. So. I mean, it just goes to show that more <laughs> it's a big campus. Not all of them had him going to the Final Four. Uh, Joel Berry is fantastic. And now it's UNC's tournament to lose. They're going up against Oregon. And Oregon, Bill Self, you got to be kidding. This was – Kansas had no excuses. They were clearly the best team on paper. Josh Jackson, Frank Mason third. they had guys, talent, gobbles of talent everywhere on the court. And Oregon was shorthanded. I mean, I picked them to, <laughs> picked them to lose the URI, which they should have. In the round of 32, all of a sudden they're heading to the Final Four. Haven't been there since 19... I want to say 30 was the first national champion of the NCAA history. And they had not been back since. So, congratulations to Oregon. 
congratulations to Gonzaga being there for the first time. But I will be rooting very hard for North Carolina and South Carolina. I want to see that in-state or that state-to-state rivalry, obviously. And everyone's talking about Gonzaga like they're they're the Cinderella of this tournament. Come on, guys. Gonzaga, this isn't even the first time they've been a one seed in the last few years. They've been a one or a two seed the last few years. They were in the Sweet 16 last year. South Carolina, they had expectations. Now, the reason a big factor in this game, you know, Gonzaga may feel like, well, we got the burden off our shoulder. We got to the Final Four. You know, we won't get much criticism if we lose here. They're expected to go to the Finals. Now, you're going up against the South Carolina team that is going purely off heart and grit. You know, they got talent, obviously, just not as much as the teams that they play, let's be honest. You know, they don't have as much talent as Florida, not as much as Baylor, and they demolished Baylor. Baylor just looked like they wanted to lay down and die. They had no interest in playing that game the other night. And obviously Duke, and you know, you can make a case they had more talent than Marquette. Marquette was shooting them out of the gym, or looked like they should have been shooting them out of the gym. They made most of their threes in the first half, and Carolina locked down defensively. Frank Martin has been one of the most likable coaches in the entire tournament. I mean, whether it was giving credit to a Sports Illustrated, kids, Sports Illustrated kids reporter or, you know, the interviews, that the animated interviews that he's had throughout this process. But this is their time. And people want to make a case that it's Gonzaga's time, too. Uh, Gonzaga was expected to be here to a, to an extent. I had him losing in the Sweet 16 to, to Notre Dame, but they have the easiest path. Can we be honest? I, I, I'm not taking any credit away from them. They obviously played the 16th seed, South Dakota State, Northwestern, who had never been to the round of 32, never been in the tournament before this year. Uh, West Virginia, which is a very, very good win, but we talk, West Virginia goes out and shoots 50% for the day, and then they, and they shoot, what, 30 for the entire day, and they only won by three. They should have won that game by so much more. And then they go out and, and obviously beat an 11th seed Xavier team that was overachieving who is supposed to be shorthanded from everything I heard. Uh, thank you very much, experts. But obviously, they played, now they're going to be playing another high seed, or another low seed, rather, in South Carolina. There should be no excuses here for them. South Carolina is playing with all of the leverage in the world, right? They got no pressure. They have absolutely no pressure on them. They're playing with such house money. This is Gonzaga's year. To get to the finals, and we go on to go flip flip on the other side of the bracket for a second. UNC I, after what happened last year, obviously it's, it's a new group. I mean, obviously the core players last year you could make a case on uh, was uh, Bryce Johnson and Marcus Page were really leading those two. They're not here this year, but the guys on the bench, the guys who are in the starting lineup now, who are playing now, that have obtained bigger roles in Meeks, Kenny Meeks, and and uh, Joel Berry. It hurt for them last year. You know, they're part of the team. They weren't a big part of it as much as those other two guys that I mentioned, but, you know, they they were a part of that team last year, and they're out for revenge. And you have a good shot at it. I mean, this is – Oregon struggled with big teams this year. And they got Kennedy Meeks. He's a big – oh, he is a big boy. They have the advantage. And then you're go- you would either – if you win that game, let's just assume they win that game against Oregon – Essentially, and I know Oregon's been there, but they hadn't been to the tournament or they haven't been to the Final Four in almost 100 years. 
a short of a high, 15 years of 100, and obviously, this is UNC's year because you beat, if you have them, and then you will either have a South Carolina team that you are just on paper leaps and bounds better than, they're going off heart and grit in their experience. And you got a lot of seniors on that team. An Oregon Zaga team that obviously doesn't have the experience. They have the, more of the talent, though, obviously. This is UNC's year. And I picked them to win the championship now from the other and from what I've seen from the bracket or what we've gotten from the bracket and what people, the aggravation that people have seen from me, it had not gone well. Um, but I would like to see them win again after what happened to them last season with Chris Jenkins and Villanova and breaking my heart and my Sweet 16 bracket and my general bracket. I lost two brackets. I lost, it was right there. It was right there. You thought more, you thought they were, all right, I'm done. No, 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 Um, <laughs> I almost had a second breakdown for a second. Um, I, I just want to get into this, flip back to baseball for a second, and I want to get into Mel Kuyper's mock draft, obviously. Um, I have an issue. I have a big issue right now. With, obviously, um, the power rankings have come out for from ESPN of Major League Baseball. Right? And I'm just going to rattle off the top ten. Tell me if anything seems weird. Obviously, the defending world champions, the Cubs, are the number one seed. Or the number one team that they, they labeled down. The Indians is number two. Red Sox is number three. Nothing weird yet. Dodgers is number four. All right. Astros is number five. Steven, Steven Assam with this indie podcast. Uh, where you at, man? Other people are on this boat, too. You know, I don't think this is, this is ain't no sleeper team, man. This is a good team. Obviously, you know, as I said the other day, that bullpen really, really scares me. And not in a good way. <laughs> Nationals is six. Uh, this bothers me. This really does bother me. Um, they made an egregious trade, in my opinion, to trade Giolito away and more prospects, Ronaldo Lopez, to Chicago to bring in Adamine, who's essentially Brett Gardner from a few years ago. This is, this is, Brett Gardner in his prime is Adam Eaton. I'm sorry. Is Daniel Murphy going to have the type of year that he had last year? Is Trey Turner going to have the type of year that he had last year? They have no closer. Coda, Coda Glover? What? What? Coda? Excuse me. So you're putting at six a team that has Coda Glover closing out games for you. I'm sorry, man. This is, oh. We're the Mets, number nine. Now, we're going to be doing it. I don't want to give anything away. But from the aggravation that I'm, I'm feeling right now, as the atmosphere is going through whoever's listening, I guarantee it. I, I don't think uh, rotation-wise I take the Mets. Lineup-wise I give the slight edge to the Nationals, very slight. And the bullpen, I, it's just the Mets. It's beyond... It's uh, beyond words. So, number six, I mean, you have them. They're ahead of the Rangers. I don't think they're better than the Rangers. The Giants, I'm not sure if they're better than the Giants. I know it's, an, it's going to be an odd year, but, oof, I, I don't know. Not exactly um, Not exactly ideal for me. I, I, I think the Mets have a very good shot. Uh, again, I'm not going to give anything away. They got a very, very good shot of winning that division this year. 
And uh, wow, it's just power rankings all over the place. So uh, <laughs> ESPN came out with uh, more NFL power rankings. Let's just see where they put the locals. Giants, they had his nine. Number one, uh, obviously, they had Patriots and Falcons one and two. Green Bay, number three. I think that's a mistake. Uh, the Jets, they had as 30th. It's <laughs> just slightly in front uh, of the 49ers and the Browns. Wow. How the mighty have fallen. Now, I wouldn't exactly call the Jets mighty, but let's not forget, they won 10 games two years ago. Uh, it's a sad, it's a sad, sad proposition. All right, Mel Kuyper's draft. Here we go. I can't wait. Let's see. Number one, Miles Garrett. We already knew what's going on with that. If the Browns, it would be a real shock if the Browns didn't pick him. Solomon Thomas, defensive lineman, Stanford to San Francisco. Jamal Adams, Honey Badger 2.0, where some people are, are uh, putting a nickname on this already. Uh, they have him going to Chicago. Jonathan Allen to Jacksonville. Really curious what the Jacksonville is going to do with that pick. On paper, they, they have spent so much money on defense the last two free agencies that on paper they look set. Now, you come up, with, uh, you come up on a talent of Jonathan Allen's caliber. Do you want to pass him up? Probably not, but I'm curious to see. Maybe look for them to trade out of that spot. Marshawn Lattimore, cornerback of Ohio State, number five. Oh, God. Are we going to do this again? Mel Kuyper has the Jets taking O.J. Howard at number six. Come on. I would like to see them take a Malik Hooker. I would like to see them take an Adams or Lattimore, barring, their, barring them being there. Or, to me, if it's not one of those guys, if it's not Lattimore or Hooker or, or uh, Adams, to me, you trade that pick. You can't go. I'm sorry. Can we can we just break down what tight ends would be worth a six pound six overall pick? Rob Gronkowski? Can you think of anyone else? I would have to go back into a decade ago to Tony Gonzalez because those are the only two guys I could think of. Jimmy Graham, I guess. So two guys, two guys we're playing right now, three in the last decade, I think are worthy of a six overall pick at the tight end position. Um, oh, I don't know. Deshaun Watson might be a guy. Maybe. Just maybe. Oh, God. Malik Hooker, Los Angeles Chargers. I got to get used to saying that. Los Angeles Chargers. Um, Carolina Panthers taking Fournette. Jonathan Stewart is 30. Fozzie Widowmaker isn't really doing it for me. Um, uh, God, the defense was just so bad last year. We think they want to take a, a guy in the secondary. But Jonathan Stewart is 30. It's Fournette. Cam Newton together seems really intriguing. The Karis McKinley, I have watched actually a good amount of this guy um, when I was still living at school. Big UCLA fan, was a good friend of mine. A good friend of mine was a big UCLA fan, so we got the Pac-12 package. Uh, I got a chance to watch the Karis McKinley a lot. This guy is the real deal. Uh, a guy that even some experts have fallen to the Giants, he's going to either go top 10 or top 15. Don't expect him to be there. Mike Williams, Buffalo taking Mike Williams is a good, really good pick to me because um, obviously Tyrod Taylor needs some more weapons and he needed a compliment to Sammy Watkins. That'd be really fun to see those two together again, uh, side by side. Hassan Reddick, another guy. This is the problem with mock drafts. We're a month away, exactly a month away. Oh, my God. We're exactly a month away. Two guys that 
was maybe projected to the Giants. So they were around late 20s, mid 20s. They're now top 15 picks. This is the problem with that, right? Mitchell Trubisky, I'll, I'll respect the Mitchell Trubisky with the Browns. We like to see what they're going to do at that 12 spot. Deshaun Watson going to the Cardinals at 13. I, I think that would be a good spot for him. Real good offensive personnel with Bruce Arians and would play behind uh, Carson Palmer until he's ready to retire, which looks like it's going to be uh, sooner rather than later. Gary Connolly is a guy who's moved up in the draft. Have Philadelphia hasn't taken them. Obviously, I would expect them to go defense as well, unless they would go off and take a um, take a running back, which, you know, two of them are still available, McCaffrey and Cook, and Kuyper's draft. Ruben Foster, a guy who obviously had some, some issues at the combine. Inside linebacker for Alabama. Indianapolis needs all the defensive help they can get. First, first offensive lineman off the board, Ryan Ramchick, Baltimore, offensive tackle. They took Ryan Stanley last year, put him on the left side, Ramchick. Now, I'm hearing, what I'm hearing is that, you know, he's had the hip injury. He had to do limited work at a pro day, at the Wisconsin pro day. So maybe he can fall, but if he falls to the Giants, it's not really the Giants that might take risk on guys, especially first round picks. They saw that with Tunzel last year. Christian McCaffrey's Washington Redskins, uh, Tennessee Titans with John Ross. They have two first round picks, so they can use that to their advantage. Tampa Bay Bucks with Corey Davis. That would be fun to watch. Twin Towers 2.0, I guess you can say, with uh, Corey Davis and uh, Mike Evans. That could be fun. All right, another guy at the Giants was on the Giants' radar, David Njoku, tight end from Miami. A lot of talent, high upside. Was thinking about going and think to, thought to go into the second round. But obviously, uh, Kuyper thinks he's going to end up in a first-round pick. Charles Harris, defensive end out of Missouri. Forrest Lamp, another guy, Giants. He played left tackle at Western Kentucky. He's projected as a guard. Uh, obviously, they have Tunzel that's going to be playing left tackle this year after they traded Brandon Albert to uh, Jacksonville. I like this pick. Now we're on to the Giants, and I like this pick. Derek Barnett, defensive end out of Tennessee. Now I get it. They refined JPP. It's thought to be said that Jonathan Hankins will be back with the Giants, whether it's on a one-year deal or a long-term deal. But what have we seen from Jerry Reese? You know, we, we when Jason Pierre-Paul got drafted, you know, we had a human yard and a tuck already. But, well, look what ended up happening. Those guys ended up needing to be relieved of their duties eventually as they got older. But, you know, Derek Barnett, this is a guy, him and Taco Charlton, which I did not see him go off the board yet. And I'm just going to scroll down because we're running out of time here. Um, Kemper has him going 31st to Atlanta. I think he's going to go way before that. But you can never have enough pass rushers, right? And if there's an offensive tackle that you don't like, you know, they've had some concerns about Cam Robinson, and, you know, they're not too crazy about a guy like Ramchick and, you know, other offensive. They're going to draft an offensive tackle or two in this draft. Will it be in the first round? No, they're going to take the best player available. And if it's Derek Barnett or if it's Forrest Lamp or if it's Taco Charleston or even if it's, dare I say, Dalvin Cook, who they have going to uh, going to Green Bay at 20, what is this, 29? So be it. That's the Giants' MO, and I expect them to stick to the plan that they're, they end up having. So uh, he does fit the system all around 4'3", uh, defensive end, 6'3", foot 3", 259 pounds. This is a guy who... Could go in the top 10 or could fall to the Giants. You know, there's so much talent and depth in this draft that 
it's going to be curious to see where these guys go. And uh, to round that out, soon to be Las Vegas Raiders, cornerback out of uh, LSU, Javarius White, Cam, Cam Robinson at 25 to the Texans, and so on and so forth. Uh, just some notable guys. Jabril Peppers they have going to um, Dallas, which I think he's a really talented guy. I watched Michigan a lot this year, and that would just terrify me if he was in the backfield uh, of Dallas Cowboys and Jerry's world. So, well, went by quick. Show went by quick on a rainy Monday. I said Wednesday twice, and the reason why I'm doing that, Stephen Big Daddy Weissman makes his big return on Wednesday, and he is not alone. We will have Jared Diamond of Wall Street Journal on this show. Yes, Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal will be on Wednesday at 1230. I can't wait. We'll be doing our baseball preview. We'll be making our predictions. We'll be getting predictions from Jared, you would assume, and we'll be getting a breakdown of uh, of the Yankees. And a little bit of the Mets, too. You know, he covers all of Major League Baseball for the Wall Street Journal. And he was covering Gonzaga this past weekend. So we're going to get to talk to him about a lot of different things on Wednesday. I cannot wait. Steven will be back by my side. Jared Diamond right behind him. And I will, yes, have to pay off my dues next Monday on Facebook Live in my Yaroslav Halak jersey or in Steven's Yaroslav Halak jersey, which will be mine for an hour. So, um, again... Thank you for don't, for uh, downloading our podcast, our last podcast. Donated 40, uh, 43, po- 43 listeners. $43. RRN will be donated to the American Cancer Society. The S&D podcast, Stephen, Vin, and Dan will match that offer or match that number, obviously. And so over, almost $100 donated to this uh, this charity, which is a really good charity. And, you know, you need no reason to donate. So please go donate. If you have the money to donate, obviously, <laughs> we all we know in this today's uh, today's economic society, we all need the money, right? But uh, you know, even a few dollars, anything would help to this society. It's a great charity, and uh, you know, today was a great show on a rainy Monday, and it's going to be an even better show on a Big Daddy return and a Jared Diamond appearance on Wednesday on the I ninety five Sports Network on Weissman and Oz. Have a great day, everyone. We will see you guys. We, both of us, will see you guys on Wednesday on our MLB Day preview. See you then. Using an overpriced trash bag? Pricey, pricey, pricey. A bag that breaks? Whippy, whippy, whippy. Or a smelly bag? Stinky, stinky, stinky. You gotta snag Hefty's Ultra Strong Trash Bag. Always at an ultra low price. Hefty, hefty, hefty. It has Arm & Hammer odor control, so your nose and your wallet will be... Happy, happy, happy! Hefty Ultra Strong Trash Bags. Hefty Strong, all day long. Hefty, hefty, hefty!